Hello, I'm Chris Moon, fellow artist manager myself, and I will be your guide through tough love, adventures, and artist management. Today we speak with Hannah Hauser of Maru Management. I first met Hannah when she was working for AC Entertainment, marketing various festivals, including Bonnaroo and Forecastle. She pivoted over to artist management a few years back, working with Sun Lux on their various releases and projects. We chatted about her career moves, the challenges of working from home, which is timely now that we're all in that situation due to COVID-19, and how equity in the music industry is often a struggle to achieve. I appreciate Handa's candor and insights, and I hope you will too. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Hannah. I'm Hannah Hauser. I work at This Is Maru with my management partner, Michael Kaufman. And together we manage Sunlux, Rafiq Bhatia, Ian Chang, Ryan Lott, Hannah Ben, and Emily Wells. Awesome. Thanks for uh, coming aboard and chatting yeah, today. for sure. Really Thank appreciate you. that. Um, so yeah, so I always like to kind of start off with uh, a bit of a history because um, we all end up in this, this weird world of artist management from different paths and through different ways. Uh, so maybe going back to, um, like your, your final days in college and your first experience in the music industry, give us a bit of your history and how you started that path in this direction. Sure. Um, so even before college, I was a choir kid, if that tells you anything, Mm. (laughs) um, and actually thought that I might study, music in college, um, but ended up going in a different direction. Uh, My junior year of college, I um, was actually in charge of booking the concerts for our school, which was a a small liberal arts school in East Tennessee, and um, found that I really loved that. I didn't I had never kind of worked the behind the scenes of um, the music industry before and found that I really loved interfacing with managers and booking agents on bringing some folks to our campus, um, one of which was the Civil Wars right before Mm. it broke. Um, So that was a pretty cool experience. And from there, I just kind of kept putting some feelers out. Um, And lucky for me, AC Entertainment is a promoter that's based here in Knoxville, where I live. And I started working there um, right after college. So my first job there was as an artist manager assistant. Um, And I did that for about 10 months and then moved to the marketing department where I did social media for the music festivals that they produced. But even just that little 10 months that I had working in artist management was enough to really set me on the path of knowing that that's what I wanted to do. So I continued, you know, interfacing with artists through the marketing job, whether it was, Mm -hmm. you know, handling social media for them um, to post about the festivals or events that we had them coming through. So I met a lot of artists that way. And that's actually how I first got connected with Sunlux. Um, So together we, you know, I stayed in touch with them and we continued talking and um, decided to start working together about three years ago. Um, So I've been all together in the industry for about eight years. 
And since then, um, we've added another artist to our roster, which was Emily Wells. Um, I've enjoyed working with all of them. It's kind of fun to be at um, different stages for each artist. Um, So I've learned a lot doing that. Yeah, that's great. It's interesting how you got that taste of artist management for a moment um, and, and, you know, then kind of went out and did the marketing thing for a while and then were able to circle back around. Um, I, I love that aspect of it. Uh, it seems like most people just eventually have that like other industry experience and then by default get pulled into management somehow, but have never really had a direct taste of that. Um, so, but I'm trying to remember actually back in the day. So I was actually managing a handful of artists, if I recall, because I remember talking to him a few different times about, um, Abigail and Trixie, if I recall. Um, so was that just a, a thing that as a promoter eventually in a similar way that I guess you've kind of, you know, taken to management too, is it just something that he, he had some, uh, affection for some artists and wanted to kind of assist in that way. Yeah, I think so. That kind of happened before my time. So when I was brought in, I was working with another person at AC, um, Carissa, who I consider a mentor of mine, who still manages oh, okay. um, Abigail to this day. And um, so, yeah, that was that was my first foray, and I think something that they were exploring too, and. And it's interesting, you know, what you said about kind of veering from artist management to marketing back to artist management. Um, In a way, I feel like that's given me a a healthy perspective of both sides of the industry, because I Mm -hmm. remember, you know, hounding artist managers for things that I needed when I was on that social media side. So now being on the other side of things, I feel like I... I understand and try to respect, you know, those requests in a timely manner. Um, since I know, <laughs> since I know how hard that can be. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, there's really no playbook for artist management when you get down to it. And I, I do find that I think, yeah, I think most of the real successful or, uh, at least, you know, together and on it managers typically have had some other experience beyond just artist management. Um, You know, I always love the fact that, I mean, especially nowadays, so much uh, of your time and attention for an artist, assuming they're a touring artist, is around touring Mm -hmm. uh, or some capacity of it. And I always appreciated the fact that I promoted shows for a while and it sounds like you had that taste too in college. Uh, I mean, having that understanding of what it takes to put on a show from that perspective is something that anytime I walk into a club when I have an artist playing, I'm like, oh, I get this, you know, and I know what it's like when I'm asking for something extra or special all the way down to, you know, the the expense component of that or the time commitment component of that. Um, and I think that's that's super helpful to have that perspective to see the other side of things. Um I mean, you're really, as an artist manager, you're in this really interesting spot because you're the, the I guess, the spoke to hold all of this together uh, in a way. Uh, and there's everything kind of surrounding you, uh, if you will. And with that in mind, you have to have the perspective of both the business side of things and the artistic side of things mm-hmm. and be able to speak the language and, and make everyone feel okay in the process. And 
that's that's challenging. Um, yeah, I, I think some of the most challenging elements of artist management. Yeah, I I've said before that I see part of my role as being the funnel through which everything passes before it gets to the artist. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they're not involved in the process, obviously. But yeah, you're you're kind of the the person keeping all the the balls in the air um, for your artist, and so you're you're intimately involved with everything, whether it's you know down to a t-shirt or a tote design up to, mm-hmm. you know, the expenses related to a tour or a show. And it's definitely given me, um, and even my work in marketing before has given me such a, a great appreciation for any time I do walk into a show, you know, where that can feel like the first time you're interfacing with an artist or an experience, but when you've been there and you know how much work goes into even just one show, you mm-hmm. uh, it, it just changes things for you, for sure. Yeah. What are some of the other takeaways just from the marketing experience you had at AC Entertainment or maybe some, I guess, um, anecdotal elements of like engagement you had with various artist managers that you've been able to kind of pull from? now that you're an artist manager yourself? I think one of the main things that I learned was just always ask. The worst thing that someone Mm. can say is no. So, you know, asking a larger artist, for example, in my previous life to do an Instagram takeover, why not? Um, The worst thing they can say is no, we're not available. But I think I was surprised by the amount of times people were you know, game for whatever I wanted their help on. And um, I think sometimes artists are looking for that. You know, they may not get that sort of time and attention from a promoter or, um, you know, whoever they may be partnering with on something. And so when you take the time to do that, it it's surprising and, and engages them in a, in a different way. So I, I still try to bring that to the work that I do now kind of on the flip side. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. Um, it is, it's, there's a fine line to engaging with somebody and asking and coming at it from a respectful place and from an educated place. I mean, you don't want to obviously be too lofty, but at the same time, if you can back it up with something that's, that's reasonable and well thought out, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, there's, there's an energy to that and excitement to it when they do say yes. And, um, yeah, I mean, if nothing venture, nothing gained. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't make that effort, uh, you just you just never know where something will lead. Um, yeah. It's funny. Last year, w- with the artist I manage, um, Apex Manor, um, you know, we were looking for tour opportunities, and uh, I saw that Strand of Oaks were going out on the road, so I reached out to Ryan, who manages Tim, and I was like, "Hey, you know, I think this would be a great match." And, you know, Ryan was like, yeah, let me talk to Tim about it. And then through that conversation, he was like, uh, does Ross have a band? And I'm like, he's putting one together. And Tim needed a band because Tim's band on his last record was My Morning Jacket. And they weren't able to tour with him. Mm-hmm. So long story short, Ross ended up putting together a band and doing a couple of legs of a tour with Tim uh, playing lead guitar. And it's like, I, you know, that was all you know, that all came out of a necessity that they had, I didn't even know about. And 
me taking a risk, reaching out, trying to, you know, see what might be available and an opportunity coming out of it. I mean, that's just one example, but it seems like, you know, multiple times, uh, at least in my career, every now and then you'll just take a chance on something like that and develop a relationship or have something come out of it that wasn't even what you went into it with, um, that blossoms in a whole different way. Um, mm. and I, I, I love that, but it's still a hard thing to, uh, when you're so, you know, you're working by yourself, you know, it's you and your artist against the world. How do I come up with those kind of opportunities? How do I, uh, get the encouragement and gumption to even ask, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's such a hard thing to do at times. Uh, it kind of touches on the uh, creativity component of this too, um, mm -hmm. which I think is often left out of the conversation. It's so easy to look at, you know, the artist side of things and then the business side of things and the manager kind of touches on all of it, but doesn't necessarily get into the creative side. Um, whether it's the classical creative element of the making of the music, but I would argue there's a creative element in just promoting the music, mm. promoting the artist, um, and, and trying to build their audience. Uh, what are some of your experiences, uh, and, and challenges in trying to be creative in this role? I used to have a hard time considering myself a creative person. Um, which is kind of a weird thing to say because I have an art degree and an English mm -hmm. degree. And um, so I think the way that I bring that into the work that I do now is by honing the skills that I do have and applying them to the creative world. So for example, my partner, Michael, and I at our uh, Maru management, we recently sat down and individually wrote out our own mission statements and um, chose our own values and shared those with one another. And now we're writing one just for the company too. And that was really insightful for me because creativity was one of the things that came up to the forefront. And when I wrote mm -hmm. down my values, those were integrity, imagination, and organization. And so I think I am bringing the organizational side to the creative process, and that to me brings me a lot of life, but it also allows me to see creativity in a new way, to see the ways that creativity can, um, you can build a life around that. And, you know, some people would say that bringing organization to that takes the magic away, but it actually, for me, brings me even more satisfaction to know that, you know, I've seen the work that goes into producing a vinyl piece of, you know, right. a, a vinyl record. I've seen the work that goes into deciding on, you know, how we're going to do a social media rollout. And so then the satisfaction for me comes in seeing that all come together and happen and there be, you know, there be excitement and engagement from the fans and it may feel spontaneous or, um, you know, I don't know what the right word is. It may, you know, it may surprise <laughs> them, but for us, it's, it's the culmination of the, the work that we do. So in that way, bringing the organization to the table is like integral to me, to the creative side. Yeah. And that, those are great, um, words to use as anchors for guiding the work you do and, and keep in mind. Um, because I mean, 
no matter what you do, but certainly in this world um, of artist management, it seems like, you know, just trying to keep up, like, especially if you get an artist or a handful of artists that are, you know, kind of emerging and, and active and moving in a certain direction. Uh, I mean, just trying to keep up with the workload uh, mm-hmm. can be challenging in and of itself. And um, in a similar way, I, I, the way I like to kind of frame it in my mind, at least, I, I try to carve out time to be uh, what I call proactive versus just reactive because mm-hmm. it's really easy. And I, I think uh, this is a symptom of, of a lot of managers, just realities that they're in is, you know, you fall into that place where you're just being completely reactive to everything. Absolutely. Uh, and by that, you're just kind of like, you know, getting the bare minimum done. Um, but you're not really being what I consider proactive, which is that creative component where you kind of crawl off into a corner for a while or go for a walk and just kind of sit with your thoughts and think about, Oh, what can I do creatively here to, you know, announce this tour or roll out this record or whatever, or how do I, you know, shake things up for this artist by maybe putting them in a different environment, you know, or a different frame of mind. Um, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it, it's so hard to find those spaces, but I, I think, you know, the way you've articulated your mission statement, it, it allows for that to always kind of come back to a moment of thinking about, Ooh, how can I, how can I bake this into what I'm doing, <laughs> which I really love. Yeah. Michael and I talk about proactive versus reactive a lot because there's always something to react to as a manager, right. you know, I could spend all day responding to emails and that be my entire day. But at the same time, that proactivity is what takes your artist to the next level, in my opinion. So, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's taking an hour out of your day to research other artists and then reach out to their managers just to say hi, or, you know, one thing we did with our artists last year was have them all recommend a book to us. And then we're taking the time this year to try to read everyone that they recommended. And Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, that's been really rewarding. Um, so I think, you know, those things that can feel like they may not be as time sensitive, so it's easy to push them to the back burner are actually the things that are super, super important in setting you apart. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, yeah, being intentional is like one of the hardest things I think about this job mm-hmm. at times is how do how do you carve the space out? to, to allow for that. Um, with that in mind, um, obviously no day is similar in the world of an artist manager, but how do you structure your, your time? Uh, if we could get a little more granular with that, like to allow for, do you have any, uh, any tips or, or tricks on how to, you know, carve that kind of time out? Are you, are you somebody that's like, um, real diligent about, you know, only checking email certain times of the day or like, how do you, do you have a place you go to kind of find that creativity? That's a great question. Um, so one of my goals for this year is to be more diligent about my email availability. I mm. typically have my email up at all times when I'm working, but I find that, you know, I, don't have the brain capacity then to really focus in on a project because I'm constantly being pulled away by, you know, this email that I could very quickly respond to or that email. And so one thing I'm trying to do is set, at least for myself, some email hours. So typically my day starts around nine and I set aside an hour or two in the morning to respond to emails 
And then what I'm trying to do, knock on wood, (laughs) is take a little bit more time away, you know, after that for either calls or some of that proactive time, like we said, Mm -hmm. or just time that there, there are other projects that I need to work on that don't require me to be available via email. So whether that's, you know, organizing some of our internal files, you know, preparing social media plans, like anything like that, that I don't have to be readily available for. I'm trying to be better about shutting my email down at least for a couple hours so that I can just really focus my efforts on that. Um, So yeah, it varies definitely, but working from home, I'm able to be flexible with my time and um, how I I spend it. But I, I find that boundaries are good for me, setting some you know, setting some tent poles up are, are helpful to me. Right. Yeah. It's so, uh, so easy just to like, let it kind of be all consuming, especially with email coming at you all the time. Like there's always somebody that's going to send an email at 10 o'clock at night that even though if it's not urgent, if you're dumb enough to look at it and yeah. see it, it gets your mind going, you know, yeah. and we have um, members and- of our team, you know, We've got almost every uh, time zone in the U.S. covered, and then we have team members in Europe, too. So we really are all kind of working around the clock. I know one other thing you wanted to touch on, um, if, if you have a little bit more time here, sure. um, is uh, the diversity component uh, of the industry. Um, I really love the fact that you brought that up in our back and forth before uh, sitting down and chatting today, because it's it's one thing that I was acutely aware of when I started this podcast. I wanted to challenge myself to try to find a balance within it, because when I started to sit down and list all the various artist managers I've had contact with, uh, I was pleasantly surprised that there were a lot more di- there's a lot more diversity in there than I realized, mm-hmm. and, and but there's a lot that needed to be there that's still not. Sure. Um, so one of the things I, I've trying my best to do is is find a balance in in chatting with both male and female artist managers because uh i think it's important i mean i have a 12 year old daughter who's learning to play guitar and and uh you know i don't know if she'll end up in the music industry who knows but i mean i you know my wife worked in the music industry for a while and you know we've we've talked a lot about just the discrepancy there Mm -hmm. and the challenges that come from that um, but then when I stop and look at that list and think through it a little bit, I'm like, gosh, some of my favorite artist managers and, and some of the people I think do the best work, you know, are, are definitely, uh, you know, female and, and mm-hmm. that I, I love that that's the case because that's not the norm or the assumption, mm-hmm. you know, in this industry, um, God, I hope that sounded right. I didn't mean mm-hmm. it to sound anything more than what it, no. what I intended it to, but it's just like, it's such a fine line to walk in a way mm-hmm. because it's, it's, um, it, I, 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 I find that energy is really needed and sometimes it's lacking in certain perspectives. I mean, obviously the lights being shown on that in the country music industry or radio mm-hmm. in particular right now. Um, but, um, it's something that I think, uh, or the Oscars every year and this year in particular was bad, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think that, um, you know, needs to be sometimes called out and stated. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's something that I am trying to see as a lifelong education for myself 
you know, just to be completely honest, I'm a white, straight woman from East Tennessee. So I, you know, I'm not the minority here. And I also have a lot of privilege uh, given, given that. But at the same time, I recognize, you know, where, where the music industry has fallen short and um, how, because of my privilege, I can hopefully be a part of that change. And so one thing we've tried to do um, as managers and that I, I think is really important just to state out loud is that, you know, when you look out across the industry and it still looks pretty homogenous, diversity with your collaborators doesn't happen by accident. And so being intentional about that, you know, one thing that I, I've been working really hard to do is to get more women and people of color, um, working on our projects behind the scenes. So whether that's photographers, graphic designers, um, you know, things like that, I, I want to give, give more and, I want to give more space to those creative people and not just go with the folks that, um, you know, have the highest developed reputations or whatever it might be. Like it takes, it takes doing the research sometimes and, and seeking those people out and, and, you know, working towards equity. Um, and it's, and it's a tricky thing. It's not, you know, there's no like, kind of like what you were saying with managers, there's no, you know, game plan that's true across the board. But um, I think being intentional about the work and being open to learning is is certainly better than not trying at all. Um, and, and that's something that I, you know, I continue to learn from my artists about and and try to listen to them and their perspectives and allow them to, you know, teach me by example and also like, call me out if I need it. Um, and in that way, we're all kind of like learning and growing together and cultivating, cultivating in sort of a, a intimate culture, what we want to see in the industry at large. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, the, that first step is being aware of it enough and then feeling comfortable enough to have the discussion, mm-hmm. you know, and be intentional as you were saying. And that's, you know, that's hard sometimes to do, um, at least for certain people, which I get, but, uh, I, I do love the fact that it seems like, you know, there's, there's certainly a moment and a movement that, you know, people are opening their eyes to that, you know, and, and championing and, and challenging themselves to be more self-aware. Right. Uh, of that component. Um, yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. It's a, it's a hard thing to talk about sure. uh, in some respects and, and, and call out, but I think it's important uh, and super encouraging. I mean, I, I've taught both in person and online um, various management classes at times, and even to seeing the it, the diversity within those classes sometimes were great, but then sometimes it was lopsided as well. But, you know, I, I, I try to, teach to everyone and encourage everyone to kind of be engaged in, in a way that, uh, you know, it was hopefully a level playing field and the possibilities were endless for everyone, not, you know, uh, prepositioned in any way, shape or form. And, um, I, I think, yeah, at some point we just have to be cognizant of that and, uh, supportive. 
Sure. And I think that's part of using our privilege. You know, we're not, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, you know, purport that I'm doing some amazing work by seeking these people out. You know, they're doing the amazing work and they should be elevated for that. And historically, right. there hasn't been the place or the platform for that. So, you know, I'm, I hope I don't sound like I'm patting myself on the back for that, but rather saying because of the history of, um, you know, the music industry, it's our job to make, you know, talk about opening up these spaces and using our privilege to make room for them. And then showing off, you know, what great things people are doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, the work almost always speaks for itself at the end of the day. Um, but we all, no matter, you know, where we're at, we all need, uh, some championing and some opportunity to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, anytime you can give that, I think, uh, especially for a minority and it speaks towards the diversity of the industry. I think that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, thank you so much for chatting through all this yeah, and taking the time. Sure. Thank you for doing this. I think it's a really great, um, needed platform. At this point in the conversation, we shifted gears a bit. And as we were finishing up, we picked up another topic that I thought would be good to include. So before we wrap up, let's move into that. And here you go. Because there is no rule book, really, um, it's, I don't know, in my career at least, and from my perspective, I've always looked for mentors or somebody that I could kind of be, you know, open with in a way and and be humbled and to say, look, I don't really know how this works. How do you do this kind of thing? And at least that's what comes to mind when I think of the imposter component. Because I know I've known so many other people that just like act like they know everything when they really don't know the ins and outs of right. things and should probably be asking questions or get more additional information. And I know for me, when I've humbled myself and opened myself up enough to say, I really don't understand how this works. Can, can you explain or, or even just being as bold as it picking up the phone and calling somebody up and go, Hey, how did you, how do you, how does this, how did you do that? Or have you been in a situation before? How does this work? It's just like something good comes out of that every time versus trying to posturing myself to the place where it's like, ah, you know, yeah. I'm, I, I hope nobody sees through the fact that I really don't know what I'm talking about here, kind <laughs> of thing, you know, but, um, that's trying to, I guess, be proactive through that aspect. But I mean, the imposter component in general is like, yeah, I don't know. Every situation is so different. It's like, I don't care how, how much success you've had, you know, um, in your career, there's going to be things you don't know. You can't know everything. So being open to that, I I think, uh, and being cognizant of it is really important versus just, you know, faking it to the point where it becomes clear. You really don't know what you're talking about, but you have to, so you have to have that balance, right. Of being bullish enough to kind of like get there, but at the same time, be humbled enough to kind of go, well, wait a minute. I don't have to know everything here. Right. And I think there's a little bit of stubborn stubbornness in me about that, you know, as a woman in the industry and also as someone who doesn't live in New York or Nashville or LA to say, Hey, I can show you that I can do this and I can do it really well and Mm -hmm. still, you know, live the life that I want and be true to myself. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think about that a lot um, when it comes to imposter syndrome, that if you're, if you're thinking about it and worried about it, you probably have nothing to worry about. <laughs> right, right. Definitely. Just being aware and attuned to it yeah. is, is half the battle. Uh, and then knowing what to do in those circumstances mm-hmm. and how to work through it versus, you know, coming at it from a place of, I guess, yeah, coming at it from a place of wonder and curiosity versus like fear or um, even resentment. I've seen some people just get really re- resentful against other people when they their back's against the wall and they don't understand something and they don't know how to articulate it versus coming at it from a place of, well, what can I learn from this? How do I... And, you know, there's something to be said for being naive in a situation too. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, there. I, I found if you can make a personal connection on some level and get to a place where you feel like you can just open up enough to say, oh, I really don't know how this works. Can you explain or can you help me through this? I, sometimes it's refreshing for the other person to actually like jump in and help, yeah. you know, as opposed to, you know, uh, just expecting you to know everything. Right. Um, and that's such a hard, I mean, depending on how you're wired, that's such a hard thing to, to come to at times. Yeah. Um, but it's a great characteristic. And I think it's kind of a crucial characteristic to a really good manager is uh, really managing anything for that mm-hmm. matter. But, but certainly in this industry, you just got to, you know, take a deep breath and, and own what you don't know, but be confident enough to um, ask, you know, respectful and articulate questions to gain that knowledge. Right. And it kind of goes back to what I talked about at the beginning, you know, about the worst thing someone can, can tell you is no. And in this case, you know, the worst someone can do is, is not share with you their knowledge or whatever it might be. But I think the, the act of questioning is part of the growing process and part of saying, you know what, I really don't know everything. And the only way you're going to learn is, is by asking and by being open and humble to, you know, different ways of thinking, different ways of, of seeing the world. Um, and that has proven to be really, really fruitful for me and a really big learning experience as a as a recovering perfectionist, you know, it's, um, it's hard for me sometimes, but I've found that the things that I've grown in the most have been the ones where I've had to say, I don't understand this or I don't know. Can you help me? Right. Oh, that's great. Recovering perfectionist. I love that. <laughs> Can you title this episode that? Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thanks. Thanks for going a little deeper there sure. Uh, sure. in that regard. That's great. Thanks to our guest, Hannah, and thanks to all of you for allowing us to occupy your airspace today. I'd like to thank my dear friend, Tony Miracle, for both the theme music and graphics for Tough Love. And I want to dedicate this first season to a truly inspirational manager who recently passed away, Elliot Roberts. Rate us, follow us, and above all, share this podcast with all your friends and fellow music industry and artist communities. It takes a village. You can reach us at chris at anadonium management, that's C-H-R-I-S, at A-N-H-E-D-O-N-I-A-M-G-M-T dot com. Be well, trip up, get back up, and let's all learn as we go. Until next time.